Hallelujah, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Oh, blessed be your name. Uh, hallelujah. Let's have our seats. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory. Hallelujah. Sunday pass We are here to praise you. Lift our voice and sing. We are here to give you the best that we could bring. And it is your love arising from my heart. Everything within us cries, Abba Father, you've helped us now to bring you all the pleasures and delights, hearts and minds and wills that say, I love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Alright, glory to Jesus, the eternal salvation lawsuits. And this is the eighth hearing. Okay, the eighth hearing, and we'll, by God's grace, God gives us divine speed. We'll be able to round up with four Corinthians today with three more. And we'll, I believe we were able to finish up last in time. If I'm able to manage time well, I'll be able to do that as well today. Glory to God. Alright, so we, for a couple of weeks, we've been um, having a defense in response to the plaintiff's, huh? Uh, in response to the plaintiff's um, argument uh, or the exhibit he has been presenting um, to prove that salvation can be lost and we've been responding that with, um, with careful um, exegetical study. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we studied Matthew. And, we, uh, and I gave an insight into the parable of the talents. You know, one thing I was explaining was how that the talents have nothing to do with potentials. I can dance or I can sing. So I'm, um, if I do not join the choir, I'm going to hell. You know, I can, I, I, have, I know how to control crowds. So if I don't join, if I don't become a pastor. I'm going to hell. <laughs> okay, and things like that. No, it's not potential. I tell you that talent has to do with money, and that was like the biggest measure of money in those times. Let me just show you one verse before we continue. Matthew 18, and this is very fast. Matthew chapter 18, and today I'm going to be watching until I get to a point where I'm, I'm really sure we'll be able to finish up, then I'll slow down. Okay, Matthew 18, verse 23. Look at something there. Matthew 18, 23. It says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle account with his with his servants. He wanted to set to what accounts with his with his servants. Okay? So um look at verse twenty four. It says, And when he had begun to set to accounts, one was brought to him who owed him what? Can you see that? Was he earning ten thousand potential? Uh, okay, so you know it has to do with money. This but as he was not able to pay. 
So it's something that has to do with money. Okay, the master commanded him that it should be sold and thereabout. All right, so um, that's just to clear out that about that the talent was talking about money. All right, so last week we started with First Corinthians. We were able to see First Corinthians 3, and we saw that the defiling of the temple, destruction, is not talking about losing your salvation, but being stripped of rewards. We went into chapter 5, delivering the Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, having to do with a lot of salvation has to do with um, the excommunication of the brother that could defile the church or corrupt the church with his wrong conduct and so that he would um he would repent okay um, to the end he repents and of course um not i mean use the word go to heaven or be in heaven empty-handed as it were Okay, have rewards. And when we saw um, 1 Corinthians 6 as well, 9 to 10, um, the unrighteous are not inherit the kingdom of God. It's talking about unbelievers and not about believers. It's important for you to be able to discern, distinguish through accurate Bible study. Otherwise, you know, one thing we're able to see is that surely there's going to be a judgment. Okay, but the judgment is not for salvation. It's not a heaven or hell thing for Christians. It's about rewards. You know, there's always an assurance. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, very fast. Second Corinthians 5 from verse 1. Look at what he said earlier. He says what? For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hand, eternal in the heavens. See what he calls it? Eternal in the heavens. And that says, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to become clothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as what as a guarantee that's going to happen. Okay? Here is the word the earnest of the spirit. So it means a guarantee. That's why I see in verse 6. So we are always confident. So it's something that brings about an assurance, a confidence, knowing that while we are at home in the Lord, we are absent from the Lord. And while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased. Rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. So it's going to be something that is sure. And once you leave this body, you will be present with the Lord. And that is, um, but beyond just that, so he has, has he established an assurance already? Huh? Okay, but now says beyond those that, we should also um, um, have it as our aim to, uh, to please God okay, in our body. He says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be what well-pleasing to him. So he has given an assurance already. Then now goes to talk about judgment. For we must all appear for the judgment of the seed of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So it's that judgment is not about salvation, but about service, okay, about works. All right, you, you see in verse, um, verse 14 that says, what, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge us that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So there's certain as living for Christ. But even in the midst of that, there's always an assurance. There's always an admonition of confidence. See verse 21, it says what? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God and him. Hallelujah. So, okay? So it's about to always know that. Alright, so um, first, so we'll continue from there today. First Corinthians chapter 9. Are we there? So, um, the familiar verse, verse 27, verse 27 says, But I discipline my body. KJV uses the word, I keep my body under. Right? I, is it keep or put? 
Huh? In case if you see keep or put. Okay, I keep my body under. Um, I will discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Alright. So, question is, was Paul uncertain about his salvation? Okay? Was Paul uncertain about his salvation? Before we continue, can we hold our Bible and put it on our chest? Um, our Bible on our chest and our other hand up. Um, are we together? And say with me, I believe in the Bible. I believe that the Bible does not contradict itself. I believe that the Bible is consistent just as God is. Therefore, I solemnly pledge that I will not conclude on my thoughts and personal opinions, but I stand with whichever argument triumphs in the light of well-explained and well-corroborated Bible text. I choose to let the Bible speak for itself. So help me God. Amen. Alright, so was Paul uncertain about his salvation that made him to say this? Don't forget our caveat is that what if a believer can ever truly lose his salvation, then it will be proven so in the light of well-explained and well-corroborated Bible texts. Otherwise, the argument is considered invalid and therefore annulled. Okay, so... Was Paul uncertain about the salvation? Don't forget what I started with when I was uh, when I was explaining about the epistles, especially when I started with First Corinthians last week. Was that what every letter would has a tiny line of thought? Okay, so you have to be very careful to get that line of thought and follow it through. Okay, it's a tiny and delicate line of thought. If you miss that line of thought, you will miss the whole message. So you have to pay attention. So is was Paul uncertain about his salvation? Well, if there's one thing that Paul has been clearly emphatic about so far in this letter that we have studied, okay, from the line of thought, it is the fact that the believer cannot lose salvation. We have seen that clearly already, 1 Corinthians 3. Look, look at chapter 1 very fast. Let's, 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 um, let's um, scan through it very briefly again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, are we there? See verse 7. This is that what? Um, so, um, so that you come short in no gift eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Okay? Can you see that? Okay, so it is God's responsibility. Our blamelessness is dependent on God's faithfulness. See chapter 3, are we there? Verse 14. It says that what? If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Chapter 6, verse 14. Are we there? It says, And God both raised up the Lord Jesus and will also raise us up by his power okay so paul is emphatic on the on the fact on the assurance that what we have an eternal hope every believer as long as you are a christian you have an eternal hope that is certain all right so so seeing the first Corinthians 9 27 now so did he suddenly think that there's one in ram you know and therefore try to correct himself through this verse hmm? Alright, so let's start with this. Um, you know, the word castaway there is from the Greek word, and I'll, I need to uh, talk about that, but I think I'll do that when I'm about to round up with this um, explanation. Is the word castaway is a rather old rendition of that word. 
Okay, the word original is um, adokimos in the Greek. Adokimos, A-D-O-K-I-M-O-S. Okay, and you know, I've explained a number of times for those that have been concerned in Bible study meetings, how that word, um, uh, okay, adokimos, the, the, the origin of the word, the root of the word is the word dokimos. Are you with me? Dokimos means, to, uh, means approved. Are you following me? Huh? Okay, so as a, as a Bible student, when you now hear adokimos, what, what do you think it means? Okay, so it means that there's a negation. Okay, so the, the origin of the word is dokimos. It means to be, it means approved. So the A in front of it is, in the Greek, is alpha. Okay, and alpha means a negation. For example, when you see biotic, abiotic, sexual, asexual. You, do you guess me? Okay, so A is a negation, it, I mean alpha. So it means what? Unapproved. So adokimos simply means unapproved or basically disqualified. Oh, it means disqualified. You didn't bring your um, ZISB. What was the name of the Bible? Okay. Disqualified. Because then with your Bible. Okay. Let's go. So, um, what is the disqualification about? Okay. What's the disqualification about? I think your version is disqualified, right? Both, man. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what is this disqualification about? Okay. Now, if it's has to do with a loss of salvation, then sin must be inferred, must be inferred in one way or another. You know, there's a way you would explain that the sin can can be involved or something connected to it one way or another. Okay, but interestingly, sin is not mentioned throughout this discourse. Alright, so it's very important for us to investigate. Let's see what exactly is going on. Hallelujah, are we together? Okay, from verse 1, are we ready? Huh? Are we ready? Verse 1, okay, so it says what? Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? So Paul is talking about apostleship, right? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Verse 3 says, What my defense to those who examine me is this. So he's talking about people who are examining him, right? Okay, so the, what was happening actually from the background is that there were some people that were questioning his apostolic authority. Are you with me? Okay, so he was, he was answering. So now he said, What my defense to those who are examining me is this. Do we not have right to eat? Okay. And drink. Do we have no right to take along a believing sister? I think KJV is the word to lead about a sister, a wife. Okay, it means to taking a believing sister, a Christian sister to marry. Are you following me? Okay. Or do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas, as Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of the fruits? Or who tends the flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. So it basically, it's talking about reward for labor. Right or right? Okay? That, um, that um, do we not have the right? Okay? Um, 
Look at it was okay. He says that what you should not um, according to the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the the ox that while it tears out the gun. I talk about the ox now. The ox is a a herbivore basically, but now he's talking about the ox that is laboring for you. Okay, are you following me? So a muzzle is something that is put a kind of device that is put on the mouth of an animal to prevent it from being able to eat. Are you following me? So he's saying that what the law is that what since is working for you, it has the right. You should give it the liberty to be able to eat. Are you following me? Are you following me? Okay. So, so yes, yeah, talking about what he was for labor. Are you, are you with me? Okay. Now says, is it oxen God is concerned about, or um, does it not say it all together for our sakes? Okay. Follow. It says for our sakes, no doubt that it is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in in hope should be partaker of in of this hope. If we have sown to you spiritual things, can you see? Is it a great thing if we reap your material things? KJV is what canal things. Okay? So it's talking about the reward, right? Okay? That's if I sow to you spiritual things, then is it a big deal if I reap your canal things if you are responsible for my welfare? Are you with me? Okay? Now says what verse 12 that what um if others are particles of this right over you, are we not even more? If other apostles are, are getting these benefits, we that were the ones that directly labored over you. Are we not even more? And that says, nevertheless, can you see that? Nevertheless, we have not used these rights, but we endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, I want you to know that this endurance that Paul was talking about it was peculiar to this, to, to this area. Now, uh, uh, to this place in um, Corinth. And basically, the whole of that province, which is called Achaia. First century Achaia. Okay, Corinth was in Achaia, Athens, Achaia, and some other places. Alright, so this thing that was peculiar to them, okay, because of some things that were, that were unique about their background, about giving, that is not, it's not something that they were, that was a lifestyle. Are you following me? Giving was not a lifestyle. Are you following me in this kind of background? Now, this is something in 2 Corinthians in a moment, very fast, just bookmark 1 Corinthians and move to 2 Corinthians 7 very fast. 2 Corinthians 7. Are we there? Second Corinthians 11, sorry, rather. Second Corinthians 11, verse 7. Are we there? It says, What did I commit sin in humbling myself that you may be exalted because I preached the gospel of, of God to you free of charge? Can you see that? So he's saying that we did not collect or demand anything from them. He says, I robbed all that churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. Can you see? So you see that what, what was happening was peculiar to just these people. Are you following me? Okay, he says that what, um, verse 9, And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one, for what I lacked, the brethren which came from Macedonia, another province. You know, it's in Macedonia that we have um, Thessalonica, that we have P um, PDP. Are you following me? Okay, but it was those people that um, supplied his need. And in everything I kept myself from being, a, um, being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of what? Of Achaia. See what I'm saying? Alright, in the regions of Achaia. So let's move back to First Corinthians chapter 9. Okay, so I've said that what the, the, the fact that he did not call, demand um, the things that are actually supposed to be normal for them to do, okay, was, was peculiar to these people because of their own lifestyle, their own background. Are you following me? Are you following me? Alright, just follow from there. Now, he say, um, um, verse 13. 
Okay, he said earlier that well, nevertheless we did not use this right. You have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. So he's talking about what an hindrance of the gospel of Christ. Such that what um, because of the fact that it's not something that is common to these people. You know, um, people people will would be discouraged. More people will when they see that they they are people that they know they have got got saved. It's like they are they are um, gossiping about the fact that ah. We are not giving money, giving money, giving money to this guy. And it's always something that should be normal, normal to them. Are you following me? But when the unbelievers are hearing that, like, ah, so when we get saved, too, we will start dropping our money. Are you following me? So that's an entrance already. I, I, do you get me? Okay, just follow from there. Now look at verse, um, verse 13. It says, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? Let's talk about the Old Testament now. Are you following me? The, the table practice and everything. They, I, I think most people here should have listened to the art of giving. Okay, so you, you understand that. Um, so it was something that it was their right to eat. Okay, that, okay, now says what? He, uh, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Now says, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So where did the Lord command that? The Lord is obviously talking about Jesus, right? You remember what we studied earlier, Matthew 10. Matthew 10, Luke 10, there about when he was telling them that they should go, that they should not go with two tonics, bags, and everything. That what the workman is worthy of his food. Are you following me? Are you following me? Okay. So, so he said, even though the Lord, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should leave from the gospel. Continue verse um, 15. He says what? Um, but I have not used, but I have used none of these things. No, have I written these things that it should be so done to me? For it were better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. When I say die, now I was talking about that. It's better for me to, like, I should die of lack, of hunger, that I will still not ask for something from you. Are you following me? So he said, it is better for me to die, okay, than for anyone should make my boasting void. The KGB is what glory void. What's the, what's the boasting about? The person that what he was unchargeable to any of them. Are you following me? Are you following me? Okay. Okay. So he now says that what? For if I preach the gospel, when I say unchargeable, it means that what did not demand anything from them. Okay. Now, okay. So verse, um, okay. Now, okay. Before I go about that, now you see that it was, there was something similar I even said in 2 Corinthians. I mean, 2 Thessalonians, see that briefly. 2 Thessalonians chapter. The, the last chapter, chapter 3, okay, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7. Something very similar. He said, What? For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat any man's bread free of charge. Can you see that? But worked with labor night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, can you see? But we make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Can you see that? So it's not that they didn't have the authority, but they decided that were to go out on their way to labor. Okay? If you read through first um, Acts 18, you will see uh, when Paul was mentioned uh, with uh, in Corinth with um, Aquila and Priscilla, who just came from Italy, from Rome in Italy, you will see that what they were by occupation was tent makers. By the way, so Paul labored. Okay, he was always working with his hands. Okay, so that it would be unchargeable to any of them. So he didn't collect anything from them free of charge. He worked for his money and got things with his money. Are you following me? So he, he was. He, there's something. There's a focus I want you to get. You just follow the line of thought. Okay. So he now says verse 16. Are we there? Uh, of First Corinthians 9. First Corinthians 9 verse 16 it says that what? Um, 
For I, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Now, okay, that is what for necessity is laid upon me. Can you see that? So he has nothing to boast of before God. Why? Because what necessity is laid upon him. Okay, so that's basically about what the call to apostleship. Are you following me? So it was a necessity that, that was, that was um, laid upon him. That's why I said that what yeah, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Can you see? So with the call to apostleship is upon me already. It is a necessity already that I preach the gospel. You know, apostle is from the Greek word apostolos. It means a sent, someone that is sent for something. Are you following me? Someone that is sent to do something. Alright. So if you do not deliver the message, you are a failure. Are you following me? So that way I say that what woe is to me. Okay, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Okay, it's a failure. And it goes ahead to say in verse 17 that what for if I do this willingly, now pay attention, verse 17. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. So can you see ministry and reward in this context? Huh? Huh? Okay, ministry and rewards. If I do this thing, what I have a reward. But, but if against my will, that means I preach unwillingly. Say that what I have been, either ways, I have been what entrusted with a stewardship. I think it means what a dispensation is, is given unto me or something. Okay? Okay, so it's saying that what either ways, even if I do it against my will, is a necessity either ways. Are you following me? Okay, a dispensation uh, is given unto me. Okay, so um, yeah, you use the word. Um, if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Alright. So, um, verse 18. Now, says, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. What you, you can see, you see that um, Paul is explaining a pattern of self-denial. Are you with me? Huh? Okay, Paul is explaining a pattern of self-denial. Okay, so do you have an idea of what it means now when he says, I keep my body under? Do you have an idea now? Eh, are you sure? Do you have an idea already? Okay, so we can continue from there. So it's even a pattern of what? Of self-denial. So we'll continue and it'll get clearer as we follow. So, um, so the self-denial, when he says, I keep my body under self-denial from the context, is it about struggling against sin? Or denying himself of the things that were rightfully his. Which of the two? That were what rightfully is. So you see that what is not talking about, the context is not about the struggle against him. That I keep my body under, ah, no, so that we make it in the end. Okay? No. He's talking about what denying himself of things that were rightfully his. Okay? Now don't forget that they were things, that these things we are talking about were things that other apostles were enjoying. Right or right? You remember, right? We don't want to talk about other apostles and Kephas. Okay? So, um, that they were also particular of this right over you. But why? I did not more. Okay? So, it wasn't, so it was obvious you were not talking about sin in any way. Are you with me? Okay? So, it was just something that was, it was just because of the peculiarity of these people in Corinth about their giving and everything. That's why we read through 2 Corinthians. You will see a number of explanations on giving. Chapter 8, chapter 9, thereabouts. Are you following me? We are explaining that you should learn from Macedonia. That even in their deep poverty, okay, they give. All right. So, um, okay. So, look at verse 19 now. That says, For though I am free from all men, when I say I am free from all men, it means that he is not a servant. Okay, he's not a bondman. He's free. 
Okay, so if though I am free for all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Now pay attention. It says what? And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. Okay, so those that are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those that are under the law. In essence, he's just talking about how he, um, how he um, conducted himself among the Jews. Are you following me? Okay, that what he behaved like a Jew among the Jews. Those among those that are under the law, he behaved like under the law. That way you see Acts, Acts, um, Acts 16. When, when he saw, was it Lister or Debe? I think it should be Debe or Debe. Debe. When he met um, 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 Timothy, okay? Because his, 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 his father was Greek, his mother was a Jew, Jewess, okay? So when the, because the people, the people that were there in the church, they were all Jews. So when Paul, when they were taking him with him, he had to circumcise him before the front. Okay, he had to circumcise him before them. He was in chapter 21 as well. When he went to Jerusalem, he had to follow some of the rites that they were having, um, the um, the rites, um, the Jewish rites of purification, having to shave his hair and everything. Are you with me? Among the Jews, but there was an end in mind. Not that he was under the law. He had explained already, of course, we saw um, a fortnight ago, Romans 6.14, that said what? For sin shall no, shall no longer have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Okay, Paul explains that very well, very rapidly over the book of, I mean, throughout the book of Romans. Alright, so it was not that he was, he was um, bound to the law of Moses, but he had an end in mind to gain these people. Are you with me? Okay, now I'm going to say that what? To the Gentiles. In essence, verse 21, to those who are without law, let's talk about Gentiles, he, be, he created himself as what? Without law. He now says, not being without law towards God, but under law towards, um, towards Christ. Let me see that he was still subject to Christ, to the obedience of Christ. But, so it's not that maybe when he was, uh, he was acting like the Gentiles, he was now doing things that God forbids. Are you following me? But when he, what he's saying in essence is that was, when he was among the Jews, he did not behave as a Gentile among the Jews. Are you following me? And he did not behave like a Jew among the Gentiles. Are you with me? Okay. So that was what he was saying in essence. And there was a there was an end in mind so that they will they will, they will be receptive to him. Okay? And what receive his message. Are you with me? If I go among the Gentiles now and I start giving rules, ah, you have to circumcise yourself. Ah, see you. You are always this. They won't listen to you. Okay, same thing with, with, with the Jews now. You go to the Jews now. Uh, Jews and you start saying that what well, you must not do this and that how you say that Moses something Moses then Moses gonna speak somewhere and all these kind of things they will not listen to you okay so what the the end in mind was that what he will gain these people so that they will be saved are you with me are you with me so you see that what well, these are still patterns of self denial so the sacrifices he had to he had to go through are you with me okay so follow through in that sense that what that I may win those that are without law but when it says to the weak I became as weak that I may win the weak. Now says I have become. If you see the week, if you see First Corinthians eight, you were talking about those those people that cannot even stomach things that are, they are not used to. That maybe things that are against their tradition, that it will it will just affect them. That you found a way of of being able to 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 be with those people and and identify with them. Are you with me? So that you'll be able to gain them as well. We will check the first one eight later. Okay. So he says that what um, I have become all things to all men. I have explained to you the use of the word past, all things. So when I say all things, it means that he has become all these things that he has mentioned to these men that I might by all means what save some. 
Now says, now I do this for the gospel's sake. Can you see that? Okay, now I do this for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. Okay, the particular of what? Basically, if you follow through, you see that he has started talking about rewards already. Okay, look at verse 17 earlier that we saw. He said that what? But if I do this willingly, what? I what? I have a reward. Now let's continue the flow of thought. It says what? Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Can you see that? So you see that what? So you see that he has talking about prize. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. You know, you know we, have, we have learned how that salvation is not a price. We do not labor for salvation. We do not work for it. Salvation is free. It's a free gift. Just like righteousness, justification. Okay? So it is 100% God's performance, 0% man's performance. We walk into it by faith. Okay? But yeah, talking about, do, do you know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the price? Now, this is giving you an idea of something as well. How that... Um, you know, give, get the allegory, the illustration, that what people, different people run in a race. I think we, we all know about race. Okay? And, but one person receives the price. So in essence, when, when that goes, I to say that word, run that you may obtain. Please, I want you to get this. He says what, do you know that when people run, that many people run, but one person receives the price? Are you with me? Will you now say, since you know that many people run and one person receives the price, so run. Okay, that run cannot just mean just to run, because it shows because he earlier explained how that what not everybody was going to, is going to get the price. Are you following me? So this running that is now instructing them to do will be an instruction about how you should run, not about just the running. They are talking about what is like you should run in such a way that you will win the price. Are you following me? I think that's the way it is. That's the way it is in your version. Okay, NKJV. That was run in such a way that you may obtain. That you may obtain it. Okay? In that side to say that um in that good side to say something. Um okay. Um so he's talking about prize. We have seen that already. Now and everyone who competes for the prize, okay, if he strives for the masteries, is temperate in all things. Now they do it for to obtain a perishable crown. But we for an imperishable crown. Now he now says that. So you see that what he was talking about race. Right or right? Okay? It's talking about race. It's talking about uh, race. It's talking about price. So it's about the race. Um, one more. Okay. Now we started to say something. And that if he says that he that starts for the mass, mass is more be temperate in all things. Are you following me? So that temperate is, it means what he must be able to exercise self restraint. Talking about um, a, a, an athlete now. He must be able to exercise self restraint. He must be able to exercise self control. Okay? You're about to run. You know that this is not a time to take shawarma. Okay? Now, this is not a time to be doing certain things. Are you with me? And he's, he's bringing that allegory or illustration into what he just explained about himself. Are you with me? Okay? So he now says something that what? You must be tempered in all things. So, but they, they are doing it for a perishable crown. Okay? Something that is, is, is worth, is value, will come to an end. Okay? But we for an imperishable crown. That's in verse 26. Therefore, look to your Bibles. Therefore, I run thus, not with all certainty. Uncertainty means that I'm not running aimlessly. I follow him. That means there's a target. I follow him. There's an aim. So now maybe, you know, when you are running, especially all those marathon, all those normal relay races, or normal races, 100 meters and thereabouts, there's, there's usually a line that you are following, a course you are following. So you cannot just run and you will just run and you will not come back again. 
you just run. That you with the mindset that since five uh, five minutes you get take to get there. Even if I start running around for five minutes, it's still the same thing. It's still running. Yeah, that's aimless. Right or right? Okay. So you see that what I am running not as a certainty, not with uncertainty. That means what there is an aim, there's a goal, there's a target. Are you with me? Okay. That's that what those I fight. It brings the illustration of a fighter as well. Says I, sp- I fight not as one that beats the air. Okay? When I'm fighting with someone, you are punching the air. No target. Are you following me? Okay? So that, well, that's not what we are doing. Well, we have an aim. We have what? We have a target. Are you with me? Okay? We have a target. We have an aim. Okay? But we have seen, what's the target? What's the, what's the aim? Huh? Reward. Okay? Now it goes ahead to say in verse 27 that what? But I discipline my body. Okay? So that what I, I keep my body under. It means in the Greek that what I subdue my body. Are you with me? Talk about a discipline. Okay? I subdue my body. I keep my body under. Okay? And bring it to subjection. Lest that when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Okay? Now, I've explained, I've explained earlier that what is, um, a castaway is from the Greek word, what? Adokimos. Okay? Adokimos. Okay? And I explained that what dokimos means what? Uh, to be what? To be approved. Are you with me? Huh? Okay? Now, so whenever you see the word dokimos, adokimos, it means what to be, um, dokimos means to be approved. That's it now. Okay? Uh, so, it is always in view of a test. Are you following me? Of a trial, of a test. That, you know, when you, once you fail the test, you are what? Unapproved. Are you following me? That's adokimos. Are you with me? Okay? So the, 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 the verb of that word is the word dokimazo. D-O-K-I-M-A-Z-O. The verb which means what? To try. To test. Are you with me? Huh? Okay, that's the, 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 the verb of the word. Dokimazo. It means to, to, to try. It means to test. Okay, that was the word that was used in chapter 3 that we, that we examined last week. Let's see that in a moment. Chapter 3, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 3, 13. 1 Corinthians 3, 13. 1 Corinthians 3, 13. Okay, it says what? Each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will do what? Can you see? Fire will what? Test. That word is test, is what? Dokimazo. Test each one's work of which sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. That means what? He passed the test. Are you following me? Okay? That's what? If anyone's work is burned, that means he failed the test. This is that what? He will suffer loss, and he, but he himself will be saved, yes, though, by fire. So move back to chapter 9, verse 27. So what, um, the word cast away, the, I explained earlier that what, this is an old rendition of the word, actually. Um, cast away does not actually suit the, the description of adokimos. Okay? So adokimos means to be approved. That is always in the view of a test. Okay? So when you fail the test, you are what? Unapproved. Okay? You are what? Disqualified. Okay, look at verse 24 again to 27. It says, What do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now you do it for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. You have a contest already that's talking about what prize, rewards. Are you with me? 
Huh? Huh? Price. That says, Therefore, I run does not with uncertainty. That means not aimlessly. There's price, there's a price ahead of, of me. Okay, that I have in mind. It says, those are final as one who beats the air. But I put my body under or discipline my body and bring it to subjection, lest that when I have preached to all others, I myself should be disqualified. Can you see that? Okay, so you see that I was talking about what ministry and what and rewards. Okay, that was one if he fails this test, what will happen? He will, what, he will be what he will lose his reward. So what disqualify means what that he will be disqualified from what? From what? From the price. Can you see that? Okay? That will be disqualified from the price. So for you, I said earlier in verse 17 that we saw that what for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. Okay? But if he fails that test, okay, he will not have a reward. Okay? So that is the context of this discussion. Ministry and reward. The end in mind is what is reward. Who has a new, new international version? Whoever, who has that? Huh? Nobody has NIV. <laughs> okay. Do you have it? Okay, I'll check that in a moment. So this will be fast with that. Okay, so we see that one thing, one thing that, is, that, is, that is clear and important for you to understand is that the word cast away here does, does not mean like what we always see does. It does not mean like a cast out of God's sight. Are you following me? Are you following me? Like the word that, you know, it's just funny. Right? I, I, it's just funny. That, that was one of the reasons why um, one of the exhibits that was used and one of the exhibits I presented was the Bible and the believer to understand something about the Bible. You know, why we always check the origin of words. Because it's just funny why they used cast away for adokimos. And because the word is used a number of times, and cast away, I mean, it's used a number of times in First and Second Corinthians. And, and cast away was used just in First Corinthians 9.27. Okay? It's just quite funny because the word does not suit the word adokimos. Okay? Unlike the word that was used, the evil word that was used in um, um, for, um, Psalm 51, when David was saying, cast me not away from your presence. You know, that one obviously has to do with cast out of the sight. Are you following me? But here, what, we see that what the context is what ministry and rewards. So it's, it's talking about a, a failing a test and what a passing a test and getting a reward or what failing a test and what losing your rewards. Are you with me? Look at NIV. What, can you read NIV? No. Uh, pay attention. No. Okay. Okay, you say what? I strike a blow to my body. And make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, can you see? I myself not be what disqualified from the price. Can you see that? Can you see that? Okay. So is that what the focus in mind? Why are you not here? The focus in mind. The focus in mind is what is what ministry and rewards. Okay. If you understand, let me see your hands. Okay, so okay, so the focus in this ministry and word, you don't have to be calm and pay attention to the context of the word. Is that what he was nowhere talking about sin, a struggle against sin? What was he talking about? What he was talking about self denial of the things that were rightfully is. You, 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 we saw that together, right? So the things that was denying himself of were not actually things that were bad, but things that were rightfully is. Just because he had an end in mind that does not want to be an hindrance of the gospel. Because being an entrance of the gospel is going to is going to um, 
you know, that's that what means to be that's what is going to um, the disqualification of the prize is going to be about. You know, having created and um, having you will be disqualified from the prize, having created an hindrance to the gospel just for his because of his own personal earthly benefits. Are you following me? So because of that, he was going to be disqualified. Are you following me? So that was why he what he he um he put his body under. He what he turned his back from things that were rightfully his. He went through that because he had an aim in mind. Rewards. Okay. So as the plenty have been able to convince us through First Corinthians nine, huh? Verse twenty seven that we can lose our salvation, huh? Okay. I always say we always we will have to still give the benefit of the doubt. We proceed from there. First uh, Corinthians chapter ten. First Corinthians ten. We have already explained this. Just just be patient enough and follow the line of thought. Okay, and you get what is being talked about. First Corinthians ten twelve. Familiar as well. It says that what therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Hmm. At this point, isn't it? I think we are tired. Maybe we should just give up at this point. Eh, Priscilla, what do you think? You just give up. We have tried already. Ah, at this point, ah, take it less it falls. Ah, ah. Wow. So, from the verse that we have seen, it is possible to fall, isn't it? Huh? Isn't it? Not everybody is saying yes, isn't it? It's clear from the verse now. Letting that ticket stand, take it less than four. That means it's possible to fall. Huh? Uh-huh. It's possible to fall, actually. Okay? But important for us also remember, to remind ourselves, okay, that Paul did not forget all he had said earlier. Or do you think he did? Huh? Okay. So, it's important for us to investigate. Let's start the investigation. Okay, now, the, the thought actually, that, you know, I said earlier when I was playing chapter 9 that we were still going to see chapter 8. Okay, the thought actually started in, in chapter 8. Now look at the, the, the verse, verse 12, that says, and 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, that says, Wherefore let him that think at the stand. You know, wherefore, basically, usually points, does not start a sentence, or does not start a thought. Usually taking reference from something said earlier. Okay, and you know, look, if we say we want to start from verse 1 also, verse 1 starts with what? Moreover. Moreover does not start a thought, does it? It does not start a discussion. Right or right? Okay, so moreover always takes reference from what you said earlier. That when you say nevertheless, moreover, you know, things like that. Okay, so let's move to chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8. Are we there? Now it says, now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Okay, now, for certain things offered to idols, you, you, I guess, now, this is where we really need to pay attention and also make use of our minds very well. Do you remember the background of coin that I explained last week, right? Huh? About the high rate of um, um, idolatry, sexual immorality, the temple of the goddess Aphrodite. Do you remember? And the, the, the temple prostitutes. Are you sure you remember? When I was talking about the Corinthian girl, Corinthians, you remember, right? Okay, so it's important for you to remember all these things now. It says, now therefore... That why is that what he was? There were some things that were peculiar. When Paul would talk about fornication, that we saw in, like for example, in First Corinthians six, one was going to say flee sexual immorality. That everything that a man commits is, is without the body. Or he that commits uh, 
fornication, sins against his own body. That's that will I take the members of Christ and make it the members of the others. You see that what throughout the, the, the book of Corinth, when Paul was talking about fornication, it was always in reference to a harlot. Is he having fornication usually with, with harlots? Huh? No. But is that what every time Paul talks about fornication, it's always in reference to harlots. So is that what there's a unique background that is that this context is being drawn from? Are you following me? It has to do with what the temple practices, the eating practices, the goddess Aphrodite's, the worship and everything. Are you with me? Okay, so follow from this. Now, besides things offered to idols, now look at this. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So, in essence, what is happening is that he's about to correct something that some were doing because of knowledge. Are you following me? Because they believed they knew. Are you with me? Huh? Okay, now follow from there. He says, What? Um, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, Okay, he knows nothing as he ought to know. Okay, now that says, but if anyone loves God, the same is known by him. Now says, therefore, concerning eating of things offered to idols, he says, we know. Can you see? That means what you know that we, we, have, a, we have knowledge of this thing. Are you following me? He says, I was, concerning things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there is no other God but one. Can you see that? See Paul's explanation. Please pay attention very well. He says, For even if they are so called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. Now says that what? However, however, there is not in every, everyone that knowledge. So in essence, you're saying that what? Idols, gods, as it were, are irrelevant to us, basically. Are you following me? Do, do, you, do you get that? Okay. Now say that was verse 7. However, it, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with the consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defined. Are you following? Are you following? But look at something verse eight. Says, but food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. Can you see that? Because you see that was from the context basically it's like more of a choice thing, right or right? Huh? But okay, but now follow. Something that I now said, verse 9. It says, But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Don't forget, I was explaining when Paul was saying that well, to the weak, I became as weak. You remember that? Okay? So you see that what? Do not let your liberty become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, now note that idol's temple. Because it's going to be important when we, when we continue later. Okay? Um, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those, um, those things offered to idols? Now, following. Now, says verse 11. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. So now, what does he mean by perish? See what he's saying in the next verse. But when you do sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience. Can you see? Can you see that? 
huh? you sin against Christ. So what does it mean? It means that what their conscience will be wounded. That's what it means by perishing. Are you following me? See what he said earlier in verse 7. That what? Uh, for some with the conscience of the idol, idol eat it as something offered to idol, and their conscience being weak is what? Is what? I guess I'm alone. Ah. Okay, it's defiled. Can you see what it means by what, what he was talking about by perishing? Are you following me? He's not, not saying that what, maybe they, they lost their salvation, but he's talking about the fact that what, their conscience will be weak. Will, I mean, that it was weak either to, will now be what, will become defiled. Are you following me? Or will become wounded. Okay? Because that affects them very massively. Okay? So now we have to say in verse um, 13 that, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, Look at verse 13. Say, if food makes my brother stumble, I... So, see that what he's talking about himself. Are you, are you with me? Okay? He said, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Okay? So, he's saying that what... So, we should not take it as a choice when the conscience of others are involved. Are you following me? Are you following? Okay? That means you also always consider others. Are you following me? Okay, so you see that what in, he, he, um, he, he, he said that what if food will make my brother stumble, I, talking about himself, I will not eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Can you see that? You see that from there, he now moves to the chapter 9 that we explained earlier. You see that he then gives himself as an example of how you can, okay, and should deny yourself of certain pleasures for the sake of others. You remember, he will now talk about what the pattern of self-denial. Those things that he, that he could that he could he could have done, but he didn't do just because of the sake of for the sake of others. On what premise? Love. Are you following me? Love for the brethren. So he talked about those many things that he could have done. Talk about what he talked about marriage. That don't we also have the right to get married? You see, or he talked about working as well. Uh, eh? He talked about working as well. Um, he talked about um, receiving wages like the, like the others were receiving. Okay, talk about um, talk about um, that he was talking about. Is it, is it only me and um, and, and Barnabas? I do not have the right to stop working and start to enjoy or start to get things from you guys. No, he also talk about what having to identify with folks of different backgrounds. You remember that, right? To the Jews, to the Gentiles, to the weak, and everything. Just what for the gospel's sake. So it gives the word a pattern of self-denial. Are you following me? You see that the context follows. Are you following me? So we now move to chapter ten. Now says that what? Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. When I say all our fathers, talk about what the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Are you following me? Are you following me? Basically, you see, you see how the, 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 most of the times it's, it's like it's tilting towards addressing the Jews in this, in this, in this, um, in, in this church, but basically it's everyone though. Yes, so, um, like that says, all were baptized into Moses. That means what he's talking about, what they identify with Moses. Um, he said, in the cloud and in the sea, all ate of the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So that was a metaphor. Okay, so that was figurative of, of Christ. He now says something important. A moment, please. Okay, he says what? But most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now says, now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things 
as they also lost it. So he's using the children of, children of Israel as an example. Are you following me? Okay? I will not lose after evil things as they lost it. And do not become idolaters as some of them. Okay? Now, so the, one question is, so why, why did the children of Israel perish? Okay, look at look at something we could use as a good, I mean, a very good specimen. See them, see numbers, and we'll be back in that. And sorry, Deuteronomy. Uh, we'll be back to um, to first in a moment. Deuteronomy thirty-two. See something, something that was recorded of the children of Israel. You see that we should not be idolaters. Mention some things, but something is very very striking. We should see Deuteronomy thirty-two verse twenty. Deuteronomy 32, 20. Are we there? Okay, look at what it says. He says, And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation. Com- complete that. Can you see that? Children in whom is what? No faith. So on that premise, I mean, so that was, every other thing now followed that. Look at what he says in verse 21. That was, They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by what? By what? Huh? By their foolish idols. Can you see that? Can you see that? So, is that what he called them what? A very perverse generation. Children in whom is no faith. So, why basically did the children of Israel perish? Because of what? Unbelief. Can you see that? Okay? You see that what idolatry was as a result of their unbelief. Right or right? Okay, move on to First Corinthians ten. Now, important I I explained that. Okay, now the main reason I, I got to, I needed to explain that was for you to know that what this is actually not a direct comparison between them and Christians. Are you following me? Because Christians are believers. Are you following me? Okay, so this is not a direct comparison between them and Christians, but rather an admonition on uh, on some traits. Or on the traits of unbelievers that you should not copy because you are different from them. Are you following me? Do you remember First Corinthians 6 that we studied last week, right? Right? Well, when we were explaining how that was, we are different from these people. Okay? We are different from those people. Um, when it says of what the knowing not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor all those things. You know, we're able to explain how that Paul would give a difference between what the the what the the the, the, the sinning Christians and sinners that are in the world. You remember that, right? Okay. So he explained how that well, you are different from these people. Don't you know that what you are different? These people are below you. You do not have the same faith. He explained how that what well, these people shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But now we're to say in verse 14 that what that what the Lord that raised up Jesus Christ will also raise up us, us up. Doing that, we are the ones that will judge the world because we are the ones that are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Are you following me? So what do not be like them because what you are different from them. Just like he said in 2 Corinthians 6 as well. That what be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Because what you are different. Like I explained when I explained uh, when I got to explain that on the second uh, track. Okay? That what you are different from them. So trying to identify with them is going to be what Trying to be like them is what an unequal yoke. I explain what an unequal yoke is. Like when you are you are you are working on a farm, something like that, and you are uh, uh, maybe two um, two uh, cows, 
are the ones that are moving that you connect or they are, you attach the plow to. So as they are moving, they are the ones that are plowing, taking the plow. Now, just try to remove one cow and put maybe a sheep there. You, you, you know that, just like, you know, you know when, we, when we carry stuff together, one and on the other, because one is taller than you. One is, I mean, because one is taller, one hand will be going down. It will be affecting the point that is tall, because one has to be going down. You get that. So imagine taking a sheep and a cow together and putting it in a plow. You see that it will be moving in the direction of the sheep. It will just be moving in the direction and start becoming zigzag. And don't forget when we explained Luke 6, I mean Luke 9, sorry. And that what is um, the a plowman should uh, in plowing, you are supposed to make straight furrows. Are you following me? So what that is what so no, uh, trying to affiliate yourself, trying to be like them is going to be an unequal yoke. Are you following me? Okay. So um, Paul um, Paul is 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 um, giving um, is explaining some traits of unbelievers that you should not copy because you are not like them. Okay, you are not like them. You are completely different from them. You do not have the same faith. I say faith, F A T now. Okay, okay. Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you guys are saints. You are the ones that will judge the world. Are you with me? Okay. So, um, so just follow through with, uh, with that. Okay. So you see what the children of Israel were unbelievers. That was what made them to do what they did. So he explained that what um, now this is became our examples, verse six. So the intent that we should not lust after the evil things as they also lusted, and, and do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. Now is that what is for for you not to mix it up? You know they were idolaters because of unbelief, unbelief, right? Right. But you know he had earlier explained out that what eating things over to idols. If you, do, if you eat it, it is, if you, I mean, if you do not eat it, it will not make you better. Neither will you, if you eat it, make you worse. Because an idol is not it worse. Are you following me? So there's something about idolatry that is actually trying to, that is actually trying to point out. Not about just eating things about to idols, because they are not, I mean, because an idol is not it worse. Are you following me? Okay? So basically, is 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 talking about three non-believers that believers should not copy, which we are going to is going to get clear as we follow. Now it says that what and do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's in Exodus 32, the story of the golden calf when uh, Moses was in the uh, on the mountain for 40 days. I thought that well, we don't know what will become of him, Jerry. Maybe he has died. He wants make us a golden calf, Jerry. And so, and when he made up, made the God, imagine, imagine what he said. These are your God. This is your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Can you see? Unbelief. So bad. If you listen, ah, well, you, you'll be, you'll be so, I don't know the word to use. Listen to my, one of my longest tracks, okay? Um, 2018 on, um, the New Testament series, the New Covenant series. And I got to explain on so many things about the Old Testament. On the Old Testament, then the transition from the Old Testament to the New and everything. You get to understand about the law, about the children of Israel, and some funny things that were going on among them. Over and over and over again. Okay? Unbelief. Alright. So, is that what these people do? I mean, so is that it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up the place. So, that's Exodus 32, verse 6. Now it says, Nor let us be, um, let us commit sexual immorality. KJV fornication, right? Huh? Okay. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day twenty-three thousand fell. 
Okay, that being talking about Numbers 25, um, the what happened, the abomination that happened at um, Baal Pio. You, you should, at least when I say a part of the story, you remember the story of Balaam and Balak. You know, when ba- Balak called Balaam to cross the of Israel and he tried three times, he was able to do that. Then he stylishly found a way to make the children of Israel enter trouble. He gave him a counsel that was just allowed them to mingle with the Moabites. Just allowed them to mingle with them, and you see. And in that, that number 25, you see, they started to commit a lot with the Moabites. And that was how they were started towards taking their gods. That's how they became, uh, they became um, defiled, as it were. Okay, and that's how they, a plague broke out among them. Are you following me? So it says, let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Now, he's not trying to say that what well, these things will happen to us. He's trying to say what happened to them that we should learn from. Are you following me? Okay? Now say something that would, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. You know the story, Numbers 21. Okay? When Moses had to uh, make a, a brazen serpent, so that those that look on it will, will survive. You remember the story, right? Okay, so is that what they tempted Christ and they were destroyed by serpent? Verse 10, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now that will happen a number of times. Okay, okay, but basically some of the strongest references um, that you can find is um, Numbers 11, okay, and um, Numbers 14 as well. When, when the, I mean, after the, the spies came back with bad information and everything. Okay, so um, the, out of the 12 spies that were sent to spy the land of Canaan, okay, that 10 of them came with bad news and everything. All right, so um, what happened? They complained and they were all dis- and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Are you with me? Now, verse 11. Now, says, now all these things happened to them as examples. Now, pay attention. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages. I think maybe you use the word. Okay, upon whom the end of the world or the ages have come. I think about this dispensation. Okay, when I say the end of the world, it's talking about what we are in the end time already. Okay, the from the dispensation of of uh, of Christ, we are we are this we are in the last dispensation. Basically, what that was talking about. All right. Now it now says what? Okay, it, it was written for our admonition. Okay, written for our admonition. So it means that what it is possible. For a believer to act like a non-believer, right or right? Yes, huh? At least we were able to see that last week. In fact, that First Corinthians five issue it was saying that what this thing that you did is even un- unheard of among the hidden. Eh? That the gender we see that say, yeah, this one is auto. <laughs> so now I level. <laughs> ah, because even the gender cannot tolerate it. <laughs> Okay, you know that's one of the reasons they should have um, that, that Paul would want them to put him away because he would become a subject for the for the for the unbelievers to mock the church, you know, just like many things that are happening in the world today in the, or in the church today, you know, the people should also be putting to the ones that are laughing at it. That especially <laughs> when different uh, pastors are arguing over the internet and blasting one another, then the people that were also be putting to be looking at it. Ah, and they know that we won't be trying to set in the matter. Calm down, let me ah, ah, let me explain. According to so so, ah, okay. all right, okay. So you know, all right. So it is possible for a believer to act like a non-believer, okay. So that was that. What these things were, what we did for our admonition. Are you with me? Huh? 
All right. So follow. So you now said in verse twelve that what? So after I said that what this is, we're reading for our our admonition. says, therefore or wherefore let him who think he stands take heed lest he fall. All right. Now um, the 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 word um um think there in the Greek is the word dokeo, um, d o k e o. Okay. And of course, it's quite clear from the context. Okay. Now in this context, it has to do with a conclusion out of overconfidence. Are you following me? I guess that's quite clear, right? Okay. Let him that thinks stands. So it's a conclusion out of overconfidence. Okay, so I was to let him that think he stands take heed lest he fall. Now the question now is what is the fall about? What is the fall about? Just pay attention to the context. What do you say next? Verse 13 that what no temptation has overtaken you. Verse 13, are we there? Now goes, he said what wherefore let him that think he stands take heed lest he fall. That says, no temptation has overtaken you except such that is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able, but with the temptation also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So what is the fall about? Is it a fall out of salvation or fall into temptation? Are you with me? Okay. Now, in now says in verse 14, Okay, that what? Um, therefore, you see, taking reference to what you just said earlier, that says, therefore, my beloved brethren, flee from what? Idolatry. Okay, flee from idolatry. So, you see, that, that is the focus of this discourse now. Okay, idolatry. Don't forget, I've explained to you the peculiarity of idolatry in Corinth. Why the right? That's why he has to admonish them over and over again about it. Okay, so that's the focus of this discourse. Idolatry that flee from it. Okay. Now don't forget, I've explained how that what there's something peculiar about idolatry that is talking about which we'll find out we follow. Just follow. Now says verse 15. But it's already clear, right, that the fall is a fall into temptation, right? right? Huh? Okay, now follow. Now says that what so um Okay, a minute. Okay. Now it now says what flee from idolatry, verse 15. Says, <laughs> I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. He now says, now he now speaks metaphorically now. Follow. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now he says, for we though many. Now that basically is talking about what we have received on the premise of salvation and the benefits that follow. Now he says that what? For we though many are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. In, in, in essence, what we is saying that what we are all partakers of Christ. Right or right? Are you with me? Huh? Are you sure you get that? Okay. Now goes to say in verse 18. Are we there? That what observe Israel after the flesh. So talk about what the Israel, these same people that I just talked about earlier. Are you following me? That we baptized to Moses and everything. Okay. Observe Israel after the flesh. And not those who eat the sacrifices partakers of the altar. We have seen that earlier in chapter 9. Okay? Now, this is what. Now, now you know, now, you are, it's probably going to get where he's getting, he's bringing the context into now. He said, What Israel are going to tell those that eat the sacrifices are they not particles of the altar? I mean, the, of the altar. 
So it's, talking, it's not talking about them. Sacrifices are done in the altar. Are you following me? So what they partake of the things in the altar. Now follow. So it's talking about, okay, now that says, what am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or that what is offered to idol is anything? No, he has, he has pointed out that it is nothing, right or right? Okay? But he now says that, what, but rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Therefore, he started by talking about altar. So you see that what, just like what I pointed out in chapter 8, I said you should note. So it's not just about eating things about over to idol, but like you said in verse 8, that what, if someone that is conscious is weak sees you what, eating in, a, what, in an idol's temple, you remember that? Are you sure you remember that? Okay? That's why it's talking about altar now. No, now it's talking about what? Eating in the temple of the idol. Because of your, what, your confidence. You decide that what? I will go and eat in, in, the, in the temple of the idol. Are you following me? Okay? That's why I was talking about the altar. So what you say that what, if, what? I'm not saying that what it is anything. That an idol is anything. Or the thing of to idols is anything. But what? That the things that are sacrificed. That they sacrifice to idols. Verse 28. They sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So what he's saying in essence. Is that what? That we're talking about altar. So there is a demonic influence. Over the activities that go on there. Are you with me? That what Paul is emphasizing. Okay? That there is a demonic influence over the activities that go on in the altar of idols. Okay? Okay? Now I, so you now go to say something that was, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Talk about what taking eating in the in the uh, in the um, uh, idol's temple. Are you following me? That is, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than Him? That way, now say, you know, that was all things are lawful for me, but not. I explained last week when I was talking about first Corinthians. We'll see that in a moment. So you see that all these things they are lawful. That means you have, have the right to do these things. Are you following me? Okay, but what not all these things are helpful. I think if you use, I think you see SPD and the users there. Okay, that means not helpful. Okay, beneficial. That's all things are love for me, but not all things edify. Okay, that way that's the word. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. See that I was still doing reference from chapter eight. Okay, how that what you should also care about the conscience of others. Are you following me? Okay, so do not seek just your own, but also the other's well-being. So this is what all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Look at what you said that earlier in chapter 6. Move chapter 6 very fast. Chapter 6 verse 13. Are we there? So when I was, that was explaining to you when he said in verse 12 that what chapter 6 verse 12, that all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful, or not all things are, uh, all things are not expedient, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now it says food for the belly and belly for food. So I was talking, I was saying last week that what it has to do with what he's talking about idolatry here. Are you following me? He said, well, but God will destroy both it and them. That means what the, the function of both of them will come to an end. So it's not that it really has a strong um, significance. Are you following me? Okay? So but in that sense, now the Lord, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Can you see? Now the body is not for sexual immorality but for the Lord. So you see that what there is a strong connection between idolatry and fornication. Are you following me? See how he always draws them together. And don't forget how I explained last week about the background of these of these people. That what you go to the temple, you sacrifice to idols, 
And what's the next thing that follows? You go with a terrible prostitute. Are you following me? That's why you say, Paul, we always talk about our lot. Okay? So there's always a, there's a connection between idolatry, basically in the temple, and what halotry and what um, fornication, sexual immorality. Okay? See what in Revelation chapter 2 in a moment, very fast. Revelation 2. The first one, um, drawing reference from what he said earlier about that thing that happened, um, that Balaam did to the children of Israel. Um, Revelation 2, verse 14. Are we there? Revelation 2, 14. Revelation 2, 14. Are we there? Okay? It says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to pull the stumbling block before the children of Israel. Now, what do you say? Complete that. To what? To eat things sacrificed to idols and what? And to commit fornication or sexual immorality. Can you see that? You see that there's a connection between the two. It's always a pattern. See verse 20. Say what? Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allowed that woman Jezebel, who called herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to do what? To do what? Verse 20. To commit what? Why, why, why are people not looking to their Bibles? Verse 20. So he's teaching them to do what? <laughs> you just feel that that way it must be. <laughs> okay? So what are the two things that, that she was teaching them to do? To what? To commit fornication and what? To eat sins, sacrifice, idols. Can you see that? So there's always a connection between the two. Are you following me? It's a pattern. Okay. So move back to 1 Corinthians um, um, 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Okay? So that way, now we say that, well, let what no one seek his own, that's verse 24, but each one, the other's well being. You know, what did I explained earlier? Self denial. On the premise of what? Of love. Are you with me? Okay? Now we to say that what now, pay attention. Please pay attention. Now says, eat what, now, follow the instruction. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. KJV uses the word shambles, right? Huh? Shambles. Verse 25. Eat what is sold where? In the shambles. Shambles meat what means meat market. Where the butcher sells his meat. Are you following me? Okay? Now follow your solution. Eat what is sold in the in the meat market. Look at what it says. Asking what? No questions for conscience sake. Why do you say that? Because all those things, before they are sold, they have always they have been offered to idols already. Are you following me? That's their practice. So it's not that maybe you can exactly you can exactly separate yourself from eating things that offered to idols. As long as you are there. Okay? So is that what, for Pokonia's sake, do not ask questions. That have you offered it to I do or not? Because most likely it has been offered to I do already. So eat what you, what you buy in the shambles. Look at verse, verse, um, verse, um, 20, 20, where is that? Yeah, my, my dear. Okay, verse 26. It says what? For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Can you see? So yes, it's saying that what, it does not have any significance. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Are you following me? Now look at what he now says. If any of those who do not believe, now pay attention, invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is said before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. I guess you understand why now. huh? Because most likely that's what me offer to I do before it is being served. Okay? Now he now says, but look at verse 28. And please uh, follow. It says, um, but if anyone says to you, this food has been offered to I do, 
This will offer to idols. Do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. That means the person is trying to say that, ah, are you going to eat it? That will be offered to idols. That means the person is part of the category of the weak that I mentioned in chapter 8. Are you following me? Huh? And answer that word. Do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord and all its fullness. That says, conscience I say, not your own, but that of the other person. Don't forget, the person is weak, so that the conscience will not become defiled. Right or right, do not become wounded, which is defined as perishing. Okay? It says, for why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? For if I partake with thanks, why am I even spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? We had explained earlier how, how that were to define their conscience and everything. Okay, so you should learn that this, this, Christ, this Christianity actually is not just a life for yourself, it's a life for others. You know, next year I'm going to teach a series on, on um, what's so great about Christianity. Okay? God knows when though. Okay? Now, it says, um, says something. Okay, I will, let me see. Okay, now that's it, verse 31. Therefore, now pay attention. It now goes ahead back to the, to the original matter. That if it's basically offering of us to idols on its basic sense, on a basic platform. It says, Therefore, what, whether you, on a basic platform now, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all what? To the glory of God. Can you see that? That says, give no offense. They are already said that what you do to the glory of God because basically it doesn't have a significance whether it's over to idols or not. When I say the word, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. You see that he said you get the Jews from the Greeks basically because the Greeks are the Gentiles, the Corinthians basically. Are you following me? Why the Jews are immigrants but they are part of those weak people because of their basic practice from, from Old Testament and everything. They are used to what this is idolatry. Are you following me? They are, they are, they are weak. When it, when it comes to this, are you following me? Okay. Now, now say that what? Um, just as I okay. Now say this what? Just as I seek. A moment, please. Okay. So basically, you say that what? You say that what? Really, on its own, on a basic balance, it 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 there is no harm. Are you following me? Just like if they give you uh, a layer of, if they give you salamis, what? Uh, what did you say? Uh, what? Uh, uh, what, whatever you eat or drink, do or what to the glory of God. Give thanks and what? It's your eat. Chow your chow. Okay? Okay? But if there is someone among you that is conscious could be defiled, that is trying to watch you that, ah, eh, please eat it. Ah, ah. Something like that. For the person's conscience, do not eat it. Do not eat it. Or if there is a way you can. Allow the person not to know that you are you get it. Fine. But do not defy the public conscience. That's what is important. That was paramount. Are you following me? Okay, now say that what just as I look at verse 33, just as I please all men in all things. When he said I please all men in all things, don't forget I explained earlier how that was just to the Jew, he became as a Jew, to the Gentiles, he became as a Gentile, to the weak, he became as a weak. Okay? So verse 33 says, just as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, to what end? Huh? That they may be saved. Now that what imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Okay? So you see that Paul gives a difference. And it's important for you to get this. That Paul gives a difference between eating what you bought from the market, though it has been offered to idols, or what a friend gives you, which most likely has been offered to idols already. Are you following me? But it gives a difference between eating those things 
Okay? Between that and eating in an idol's temple. Are you following me? In a moment, just see chapter 8 verse 10 again. One more time. It says the word, For if anyone sees, sees you who have knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, will not the current of those um, of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And that's why his conscience will be defiled. Are you following me? So he gives the difference between eating ordinarily, though it has been offered to idols, and was now going on the way to the idol's temple and what and eating those things. So that what you see the definition of what of the overconfidence now that's talking about. Okay? Now the overconfidence to what end that well, I can't pour. I can't pour. I'm a strong man and everything. But don't forget, I said that what the things that go on there in the idol's temple, there's a demonic influence over the activities there. Are you following me? Now it's going to get clear. Now, actually, it's just like just like at war now. <laughs> I should just talk about this very briefly. Now, um, well, let me just try to be as careful as possible. You know, you know, ordinarily, you can't find any way that the Bible speaks against this. Against, come on, in um, John 2, Jesus turned water to what? Don't think it's uh, uh, pure heaven or whatever. Ah, it's wine. No wine is wine. No wine is. I mean, alcoholic fermented alcoholic wine. I was talking about. Oh, have you ever heard of um, uh, non-alcoholic good as well? Eh? <laughs> or non-non-non-alcoholic tea tea? <laughs> All those things. Okay. Just don't want to wine, no. Okay. All right. You know. First Timothy 5.23, where um, Paul was telling Timothy that what, drink no longer water, but take a little wine for your stomach's sake, and I open infirmities. Now basically, he's trying to say a little wine now. There's a lot of argument about the little wine, whether it's pointy, but basically, I think it has to do with mingling the wine with water and everything, and basically, to, just to make it um, dilute and everything, less concentrated. But, so but one thing that is obvious, that what wine has a therapeutic um, relevant as a therapeutic medicinal, it could be used for medicinal purpose. I follow me, alcohol generally as well. Okay, but there's such a thing as the abuse of it. Are you following me? Okay, that's why you said the Bible one thing, the Bible does not basically speak against wine, alcohol basically, but against Ephesians 5 by the thing that was be not drunk with wine. Can you see that? Okay? Be not drunk with wine. So basically, the Bible is basically against drunkenness. Now, very fast. Can we see Proverbs 23? I want to see something about Proverbs 23. And please, let me very fast. Please, very fast. In my own Bible, it's page 498. So, in case you want to be fast. Proverbs 23. Now, please, let me very fast. I beg of, please. Because I'm a little, I'm diverting a little bit. And we must do one more. Alright. Proverbs 23. Are we there? See verse 29. Proverbs 23, verse 29. Are we there? Now look at it. it says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eye? Look at it. Those who linger long at the wine. Can you see that? That's talking about tiring. You know, obviously, that's, that, we are talking about drunkenness now. Now look at it. Those who go in search of mixed wine. <laughs> Those who look at wine when it is red. When it sparkles in the cup. When it swirls around smoothly. Right. That's what I look at at the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Look at your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. Yet, 
you so whether you are a, you are a, whether you are a good person or not, you will form in the end. Now look at verse thirty four. Thirty four says you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, or like one who lies at the top of the mast. That's where you just be. You just you just be doing. You just look at someone that has superpower. You are not everywhere. Look at look at what you now be saying in verse thirty five. You have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When will I awake that I may seek another one? <laughs> you will just, you will be out of your mind. That way, in essence, you will be out of your mind. You will be beside yourself. Are you following me? Are you with me? Alright. So, um, um, okay. Now, so I've explained that. So basically, the truth is, okay, let me just say this. Now, but now, if you, if you get drunk at home, that is foolish enough. Okay? But now imagine you getting drunk in the clubhouse or in, in the beer parlor. No, that, I'm just trying to give an allegory of what, what something like, something quite similar to what Paul is saying. Okay? That you are not going to the idol's temple. Okay? Because if you are at home, you will fumble and do all the nonsense, then you wake up later. You would, what's the word, knock out and you would afford me exact um, facial verb, okay, and everything, okay, but if you are in the temple, I mean, if you are in the beer part and everything, everything that others are doing, you will do <laughs> you will do it, <laughs> if they are, if, if, if they give you 10 girls, you, you visit them, um, let me just put that as way. Now, now, if you are, if you, if you, you, you are doing it at home, that's foolish enough. But now, imagine going to robot. Now, now, basically, before I continue with this explanation of so course Corinthians ten, now there are two major reasons why we 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 um, discourage drinking drinking wine. Now, I'll explain that it's not exactly a doctrinal thing. Okay, the wine, the Bible is not like speaking against drinking wine and everything, but it's true that you need to be safe, actually. One, one of them is once is, there's also there's a tendency of abuse, a tendency of drunkenness. It's just better to be safe by just leaving it. Because you may think that it never happen. It can happen, no. That's one. And number two is also very important, which also um, connects with this text. Eh? Because of others. Imagine. You, 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 imagine me thinking, and there's someone, 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 um, comes around now, and says me thinking, and I have to be, shall I, eh? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Do you know that, do you know that, if you do this thing now, for example, now, if you see, ah, oh my God, where do I start from? For example, aha, aha, hey, see first, ah, oh, let's see woman's first. You know, you start to have to shall I, and everything. For the sake of others conscience, just avoid this thing. Are you following me? Are you following me? Okay, so let's let's go back and round up with First Corinthians um, chapter ten. All right. So um so so is is in essence Paul is saying that what do not let overconfidence lead you to an idol's temple. Are you following me? There are demons influencing their activities there. Okay. So fornication and other things that you think you won't do. Ah, <laughs> you will only realize after you are done. <laughs> are you following me? So to avoid that. What's the instruction? Verse 12. What? Take heed. Okay? That means that you can understand what? Take heed. So, that, so to avoid that, what? Take heed. Are you following me? 
So it means what? Exercise caution. Verse 12 again. Says, Therefore, let him that thinketh his stand take it, lest he fall. And that says, No temptation has taken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Okay? So, what is the way of escape that God has made for you? See verse 14. Therefore, my beloved brethren, what? Flee from idolatry. So, what is the way of escape? What? Flee. Okay? Flee from idolatry. Hallelujah. Okay? So, you see that what the whole of this discussion has nothing to do with a lot of salvation, does it? Huh? No. It is about conduct. Okay? Do the right thing. And know that there are some things that you have the liberty to do. But you should ignore for the sake of others. And also for yourself as well. So that you will not fall into temptation. Okay? So is that what the falling has to do with what's falling into what? Temptation. Are we together? If it's clear, let me see your hands. Alright, that's beautiful. Okay? So has the plaintiff been able to convince us through 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, eh? that we can lose our salvation? <laughs> Alright, so 1 Corinthians 15. This is the last one for today. I will round off with 1 Corinthians and move to Ephesians next week. 1 Corinthians 15, are we there? Verse 2. Now, please, we have to be fast, though. Hey, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2, it says what? By which? Okay, let me start with verse 1, so it will help us better. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, verse 2, if you keep in memory the word which I preach to you, now, see how it ends, unless you have believed in vain. I've explained that a number of times, but I've explained it quite better now. Okay? Okay? So, is Paul saying that it is possible to believe, but in the end, it is incapable of securing you? What did he say? Okay, at the end, well, it is useless. Okay? Like, at the end, you believe, but, ah, ah, so ah, so so, I just depart like that. Depart. You don't believe me and everything. Ah! So, is, is that what Paul is talking about in this verse? Now, like, like I always explain, I was brought up for you to catch it. Now, the pointer to understanding this discourse, the pointer verse, which I usually call, use the word clincher, okay, is verse 12. So once you, once, that way sometimes, sometimes when you see a couple of, um, a, a, a text that is a little bugging like this, then I usually look for some pointer verses that once you understand, you'll be able to get a clear picture of the, of the text. Verse 12, are you, are you there? So there was, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Can you see that? So what is, what exactly is going on here? Okay? You see that what, um, um, this, this statement that there is no resurrection of the dead is an attack on the message of the gospel. Right or right? Okay. It's an attack on the message of the gospel. Okay, so we see that what here, some people were there that were saying that what there is not nothing, so there's such nothing such or there's nothing as resurrection of the dead. Are you following me? And of course, that's an attack of the gospel because if you say that there's not like resurrection of the dead, I mean, in essence, what we are, our claim that Jesus was from the dead is not true. Are you following me? So it's important for us to understand. So we see that what's going on here that Paul is giving a response to that. 
Are you following me? Of to what is going on here? Are you following me? So in essence, what Paul is giving a defense of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. Are you following me? He's giving a defense of the resurrection of Christ. Okay, now follow. Let's, let's, let's start um, from verse 1 now. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you received, and in which, now pay attention, that's the word, and in which you stand. Now that word I was using in verse 1, that says stand, I think it's the word is me or something like that. Now it means, it means what, in which, in that, I mean in the gospel, you stand secure. Are you following me? Are you following me? In the gospel, you stand secure. In the gospel, you are established. Are you following me? So that, that has started with an assurance already. Right or right? Okay? Now, now we have to see in verse 2. That what? By which also you are saved. If you keep in memory that which I preached unto you. Now, I for you to know that the word keep in memory is the Greek word kateko. Now, I want you to write it down. K-A-T-E-C-H-O. K-A-T-E-C-H-O. Now, the O there has an um, accent on it. Kateko. Now, that word keep in memory actually has nothing to do with remembering something. It's, it's just one word. It has nothing to do with memory that maybe, ah, I forgot the message of the gospel, ah, so I'm not more safe. Because if I want to say, ah, the message that is as simple as that. <laughs> See, you forgot. <laughs> ah, I, eh? That's true, I forgot I just was one day though. Eh? <laughs> no. Um, it has nothing to do with keeping memory actually. Katego has to do with to hold fast. That okay in New King, New King James Version uses. Okay? It means to hold fast. That means what if, that you are saved if you have held fast this gospel. Okay? If you hold fast, that category means to hold fast. It means to seize something. Are you following me? To seize something, to take possession of something. That's what it means. Kateko. Okay? So is that what you are saved by this gospel if you have seized or if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Alright. Unless you believed in vain. So don't forget, Paul is what giving. So we are going, we want to understand what it means by believing in vain. Right or right? Huh? So go ahead to see. I explain that what Paul is giving a defense of the gospel. Right or right? Now follow verse 3. He says, what, For I deliver to you, first of all, that's giving an evidence of the of the gospel, of the resurrection of Jesus in essence, I demand you follow the power that which I also received, that Christ, verse 3, died for our sins, according to what? Huh? Scriptures. And I was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to what? Okay, so what's the first evidence? Okay, that what the scriptures testify about this. Are you following me? Don't forget, Paul is giving a defense of the gospel. The first evidence, or the first defense, is that what the scriptures testify about this. Okay? We have, it's replete over the Bible. That Jesus died about the scripture. We see, when it says scriptures now, you're talking about, my, um, talking about the, 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 the Old Testament writings now. Um, Genesis to Malachi. We have Isaiah 53 that says that what, he was wounded for our translation, verse 5. He was bruised for our iniquities. Okay? The chastisement of our peace were upon him. Okay? And everything, and by his stripes we were healed. Okay, it's rapidly over the Bible how that um, Christ will die, how, even how that he will rise from the dead. You remember um, Psalm 16, that was, you will not leave my soul in hell. Now that will you allow your only one to see corruption, which Peter explained in, in Acts 2, that was, that prophecy was about the resurrection of Christ. Are you following me? Just like I am, um, um, 
the um, when he says what this day have I be, you have that was my son this day have I begotten you he also explained how that what that was a prophecy about what the resurrection of Jesus okay that when he was raised from the dead are you following me okay just like he said um, that's that's how Paul said Romans one as well okay that was um, this um, Jesus of the seed of David who was declared the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead now okay so in essence he's saying that what the first evidence of the gospel and in, in essence of the resurrection of Jesus that was scripture testify of this right or right okay so what's the evidence that's that what verse 5 and verse 4 sorry okay verse 5 sorry and that he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve so what's the next evidence that they were what they were eyewitnesses are you following me when he goes again from the dead people saw him are you following me Okay, he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve, verse six. He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater remain unto this day. But some are falling asleep. Falling asleep means that they have died already. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Can you see that? So the evidence that what they were eyewitnesses of this. All right. Now you now go ahead to say verse eight that what then last of all he was seen by me also. As by one born out of due time. Basically, he's talking about his encounter in Acts 9, the, uh, on the road to Damascus and everything. Okay? So, um, that, that, that was what convinced him of, of, of Jesus, is, that Jesus is alive and everything. Now, that's in verse, verse um, I explained that basically last um, December as we tweet this gospel. Okay? Um, okay? As of one born out of due time. In essence, talking about an untimely birth. Okay? And that says what? For I am the least of the apostles, verse 9, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you what? So you believed. So, in essence, he's saying that what it doesn't matter who preached it. What matters is the message that was preached. Are you following me? What matters is the message that was preached. Okay? Now we're going to say in verse 12 that now if Christ will preach that he has been raised from the dead. Okay? I'll say some among you that there's no resurrection of the dead. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Because that's what it implies. They're saying that what, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Alright? And that says that what, look at verse 14, very important. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Vain there in the Greek means empty. Okay? So can you see what he says in verse 14? Pay attention to verse 14 again. Say that what, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain or empty, and your faith is also vain. So in essence, what does it mean to believe in vain? That means what? In essence, it means that what? Believing in vain. Is what believing a message that is not true. Look at verse 14 again so you understand that. This is what, and if Christ is not reason, unlike what we are claiming, are you following me? If Christ is not reason, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also vain. That means what you have believed in, you have believed in vain. It is empty because what? It is a message that is not true. Are you following me? So what if Christ did not raise rise from the dead actually, then you are believing in vain. Are you following me? And that goes to say in verse 15 that yes, yes, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. Even in fact, the dead do not rise. Okay? That says, 
um, um, verse 16. For if the dead do not rise, look to your Bibles, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, verse 17, pay attention. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is vain. Vain in verse 17 means profitless. Full time. Okay? And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is vain. You are believed in vain. Look at it. It says, you are still in your sins. Can you see that? Can you see that? So that means what your vein is profitless. Why? Because it is a message that is incapable of saving you from your sins. So it is not true in the first place. Are you following me? So you are still in your sins. Okay? But look at what it now says, verse 18. That then those also who are falling asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only, that means those that are falling asleep in Christ, those that have died already in Christ, that means they are perished. No, for them. Because they, they were clinging to something that was hopeless, that was wrong, that was not true. Okay, now say that what? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we have all men most pitiable, can you be most miserable? Can you see that? So if the message is not true, then there's no hope after this life. So if it's in this life we have hope, we have all men most miserable because we are facing persecution in this life, we are not exactly enjoying this life. And after it, that's the end. No hope. Then we are so miserable then. <laughs> others are enjoying their life. At least others are enjoying their life. At least if everybody dies and, and that's the end. At least then they have enjoyed the rest. Before you die, you suffer. And that's just the end. Then you are, we are all men most miserable. Are you following me? But look at something very beautiful, verse 20. But now, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Hallelujah. Okay, so the message is true. Alright. So the message is true. So what does verse 2 mean? About believing in vain. Okay. Now vain in verse 2 is from the Greek word ike. And I want you to write it down. E-I-K-E. E-I-K-E. The the second E has an accent on it. When I say an accent, it means there's a dash on top of it. I don't think I have a... E-K-E, E-I-K-E. Okay? That's what vain means there. Okay? So what vain means, it means E-K. It means what? Without reason. Without reason. Or due consideration. That's what it means. That means, ah, this message, you didn't even consider it. Something that I don't even do. <laughs> Are you following me? Okay? So what he's saying is what that is what that unless you, so verse, verse 2, which says what? By which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I put unto you, unless you believe in vain. It means that what on, it means unless you believe the message that is not true. Then unless you believe the message that is not true, that's when you are not saved. Are you following me? That I say that what by which you are saved, unless you have believed in vain. Are you following me? That means what if you are not saved, if you have believed in vain. That means if you have believed the message that is not true, then you are not saved. Okay? You are not saved. So in essence, he's saying in essence that what um, you are not you you if the message that Jesus rose from the dead is not true, then you never had the salvation in the first place. Are you following me? Are you following me? That's what it means. What to believe in vain without due consideration, without reason. This is what. But since the message is true, you are saved, brethren. Are you following me? Is, is, is it clear? If it's clear, let me see your hands. Okay? So believing in vain is not talking about what you believe and in the end. Ah! 
God. So I just believe like that and it just ain't like that. Ah! Oh God. No. It means that what believing in vain is what uh, has to do with what their message. And what this message is not to. Are you following me? You believe the message that was incapable of saving you because it's not true in the first place. A hopeless message. It was incapable of saving you. So basically, in that sense, it's not exactly the fault of the person who believed it. It was basically the fault of the message. Because it was a message incapable of saving you because it's not true. Because if you say Christ rose from the dead and it's not true, then it's incapable of saving you. But if Christ did rise from the dead, then there's a hope in it. Such that what, if you come into it, you also rise from the dead. Are you following me? Okay? There's a hope in it. Okay, so we now follow it up. So what if someone claims not to believe anymore? Okay? And this is like what was happening here already. Okay? That prompted him to address this. Don't forget, that was what was going on here. And people were saying that there's no resurrection of the dead. Are you following me? So they were, they were convincing others and people were, people, some people did not believe anymore. Are you following me? Okay? Okay? So, so what if someone claims not to believe anymore? Huh? Let's continue from verse 30. See verse 30. Verse 30. Are we there? Okay? Since the word, it, 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 now it's continuing with his defense, just like where it where stopped. See the word, and why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? As Christians, don't forget, as earlier I said that what even in this Christ life we have hope. In, even in this life only we have hope in Christ. We are all men most miserable because we are suffering for this for this for the sake of the gospel. And if it's hopeless, then we are miserable. So we, or we are to be pitied. So verse thirty says, "And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord that I die daily. When I say I die daily, it means what is always in peril of death, always in danger of death." Okay, that's the word verse two. If in manner, in the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. Beasts is metaphorical. He's talking about the persecution that I faced at Ephesus. Are you following me? This is the word. What advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Why am I going through this suffering for the sake of the gospel? What advantage if the if the dead do not rise? Then what? Let us what eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Abi, go and enjoy life. Shall I? But because tomorrow you ah. Tomorrow is the end. Okay? That's um, um, something he brought it into this context, though. Um, Isaiah 22, verse 13. Let us eat and eat for tomorrow we die. Okay? If the dead is not right. So you see, he's trying to, he, he, Paul is addressing this, he's directing this message to those people that are not convinced of the message anymore. Are you following me? Those people that do not believe anymore. He started by what? Giving a defense. That, number one, the scripture is part of this. Number two, they were eyewitnesses. No, I think I'm saying this. I experienced it. Are you following me? I experienced this Jesus. Okay. Now, it now says that what? Um, if the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But it said that what? Me, I've taken myself in jeopardy of this message. So I'm, I, I, I cannot be putting myself at risk. It's still giving me a defense. I can't be putting myself, my life at risk for a message that is not true. For what I know is not true. Don't forget, last, last year, December, when we were studying this gospel. Uh, this gospel, um, investigating the message of our Lord and Christ, I was talking about those theories that that that, that, that critics brought to attack the resurrection of Christ. The hallucination theory, the swoon theory, remember all those things. Okay? And we're giving the responses to all those things. And that what these people, they put their lives on the line for this thing. Are you following me? Okay. So, he's saying that what, um, verse 33, he now says something very important. That what, be not deceived. 
evil communication corrupts good manners. Can you see that? So, what was the problem with them? What evil communication? Don't forget verse 12. There were people that were saying among them. Okay? So, evil communication corrupts good manners or good habits. Okay? So, what, we happen, what happens to those that, that claim not to believe anymore? Such for a person who will be corrupted in conduct. By the right, not salvation. Evil communication corrupts good manners or good habits. Okay? Look at what, look at what, he, has, look at what he has said earlier. You, you understand the context of the corruption and conduct that he's talking about. What did you say earlier in verse 32? That what? If the dead do not rise, then what? Let us what? Eat and drink, for tomorrow we what? We die. Can you see that? When you say die now, since, since tomorrow, since any time the end will come, I follow him. So let us just eat and drink. So what will happen? What is the corruption in conduct? The person will begin to what? To live a, a life, to live life like a person that does not have hope. Okay? That what? The end is coming very soon. So let me just eat and drink and end it there. Are you following me? So that's the corruption in conduct that will happen. Okay? Can you see that? Evil communication corrupts good manners. Look at what he says in verse 34. He says that what? What is it in verse 34? That what? Awake to righteousness. So what is going on with them? They are what? They are what? They are asleep. Can you see that? They are asleep. So what exactly? Look at what he says. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some of you do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So what exactly is the problem with them? Ignorance. Isn't it? Ignorance. From the way Paul handles this matter now, what is the cure to what was happening to them? Is it the re-salvation or, or like being born again again? Eh? No. What was the cure to it? Knowledge. Well, some of you do not have the knowledge of God. So that was what was going on. So they needed knowledge, like they needed to be enlightened. So he or she needs the right knowledge. He or she needs the right knowledge. Okay? Let me just let me let me switch it from from pidgin to to English. The person is disguised. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I know you know to say it. Okay, okay. So the person needs the right knowledge. Are you following me? Okay. So it's important for you to know that. If you follow the flow of thought, that I said that there's always a line of thought all through. You know, you have Paul is emphatic on it already. See, you have entered into an irreversible union with with, with uh, already. Okay, you have entered into a. You remember, see, first Corinthians six seventeen that said that what he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. You know what it means to be one spirit with God. One spirit, that means you cannot separate yourself from God. That means the, what is between you and God. Like if the only way you can separate God, yourself from God, like if you can separate water from wetness. You know, if you can, something like that. If you can, if you can make water to stop being wet, something like that. It is intertwined. There's no, there's no, no, you know. Just like someone I admire says so much, you, you will never know how, you will never know a life, how to live a life without God again. Outside of God again. Okay? This is such an irreversible union with God. Okay? So you have entered into an irreversible or irrevocable union already. So claiming later to 
to be an Ogun worshiper. We not change this. If you like carry your mat and go and bow down anywhere. You know the funny thing. You know the funny thing is that we, or many of the people that are, are critics of eternal salvation, they believe strongly in, in you know when they are, when they explain about blood covenant. Ah, I don't. Ah, be careful. What is blood covenant? You take something, cut blood, cut blood, and, and you say something. Ah, it's very dangerous. No? You, you, have, you should have had your teaching on blood covenant now. How dangerous it is that? It's so invasible that you can ah, you can terminate you and everything. If you can believe that so strongly, and you that it is irreversible. And you are now speaking like that. I mean, you're now, you're now like, uh, what, what should I use? You're now speaking otherwise about the blood of Jesus. Are you serious? It's funny how we can, we can, we can exalt human covenant of human blood. And look at how we are talking, speaking lightly of, of the, the blood of covenant of Jesus. Eh? You believe that if a man and a woman they should lick their blood and everything that they are tied to themselves forever. But you don't believe that Jesus' blood, partaking of Jesus' blood, has taken you into God forever. <laughs> like which kind of ideology is that? Which kind of idiosyncrasy, yeah? <laughs> okay? So you have been saved once and for all already. Alright. So we round up. See verse 49. Let's begin to round up now. Verse 49, are we there? Verse 49 says that what? Um, and look at, you see that he ends an assurance. He what? And we, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust. That's the, our flesh now. Our flesh, our corruptible flesh. He said what? We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Can you see that? Is that an assurance? Ah, says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Talking about our corruptible flesh. Nor does corruption inherit in corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, look to your Bibles, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the same that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That is 25 verse 8. And that says, O death, where is your sting? O AD, so O hell, where is your victory? Can you see that? That is in Hosea 13 14. And that says, what does you see that what you have said so far? Is, what you have said so far, is that a presentation of a probability? Yeah. Huh? But what? A certainty. That is what? The sting of death is sin and the sin of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see? So who is responsible for our victory over death? Jesus Christ. Huh? Jesus Christ. God through Jesus Christ. Can you see that? So it is not predicated on us, but on God. See? Can you see that? So our victory over death is God that has given it to us. When I said when we are talking about the future victory over death, it means that what we will be raised from the dead, incorruptible. Okay? That's the future victory. So our our the redemption of our bodies, though is in the future, it has been purchased already. Okay? Okay? Just like someone I admire will say, you see our our, our the redemption of our bodies is the celebration of our victory over death. 
Okay? That's the me five years. Now, look at verse, verse, verse 58. Look at what it now says. Therefore, my beloved brother. Therefore means what only seen what we have seen, said so far. Seen the admonition so far. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work, knowing what? That your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You have a hope. You have a hope. It is certain. It is an assurance. It is a blessed assurance. It is a blessed assurance. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Are we blessed? Are we blessed? Can we just begin to give God praise? Can we bless God from the bottom of our heart? Hallelujah. Such a wonderful time with God's word. Glory to Jesus. Thank you for our hope. Oh, glory to Jesus. Thank you for those blessed assurance. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah.